Thank you, Beth. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that we would be um, challenged and changed as we spend some time reflecting on it now. Amen. Hi, my name is Marianne, and I'm one of the curates here, which means I'm a trainee vicar. Um, I'm married to Tom, and we have four children, one of them sitting there. And we've <laughs> lived in Winchester for almost 18 years now, but Tom and I are both originally from Brighton. And it's a great day today for anyone who comes from Brighton, because we beat Leicester this afternoon. <laughs> Um, so Simon mentioned that we are week two into a series on the Apostles' Creed. And some of you will be very familiar with the Apostles' Creed and others not so much. The Apostles' Creed is really, it's kind of a summary of the Christian faith that's been handed down through the generations, through the centuries. And this evening we will be thinking about the Trinity in the Creed, we make these statements about believing in the Father and in the Son and in the Holy Spirit. And there is so much that we don't know yet and we'll probably never know uh, on this, our life on, on this earth about the Trinity. And really that is because God is God and we are not. And he understands and we don't yet understand fully. But explaining the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as the three persons of the Trinity is an aim that has led to much debate and controversy for almost as long as there has been a church. Um, a library could be stuffed full of all of the books that have ever been written about the Trinity. And I think that this is because no theological study could be more fundamental or more foundational than to understand the very character and nature of the three-person God that Christians serve and worship. And so Christians have been trying to understand and explain the mystery of the Trinity for a very long time. And some of you, uh, if not many of you, may have sat in um, house groups, small groups with, or just sat around with Christian friends, friends who are not Christians, and you've been sitting around discussing the Trinity. And someone says, oh, actually, I've heard this really good illustration, um, helpful, and it, it's a bit like the, um, it says God is like a shamrock leaf. So he's one leaf, but there are three bits and then someone else says, well, um, no, God's like H2O. So he's like ice cold, and then you heat him up a bit, and he becomes liquid, and you, you heat him up even more, and then suddenly he's a uh, vapor. So it's all H2O, uh, but there are three different ways that he can be sort of godish. And then someone else says, <laughs> this is my favorite one, no, it's, it's not my favorite one. Um, this is the most ridiculous one. No, I like to think of God as an egg. Um, you've got the yolk, you've got the white, and you've got the shell, but it's all one egg. And you're sitting there feeling confused and thinking, oh, seriously, people are going to bow down in wonder at the eggishness of God? <laughs> 
But Christians believe in the Trinity, not because they think there's some similarity between God and some three-headed monster or streaky bacon or a Twix or a Jaffa cake. They believe in the Trinity because of Jesus. And in John uh, chapters 13 to 17, we begin to hear a bit more about the language of the Father and the Son. And therefore, it brings up this whole issue of what it means for God to be Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, instead of trying to analogize the Trinity, it might be helpful, and it's been helpful for me, for, for all of us, I hope, to think about the Trinity instead of that, but in terms of who and what. And we could apply this to all sorts of characters that we encounter in our lives. Okay, so let's think of Emma um, Raducanu. Who is she? She is Emma Raducanu. What is she? She's a woman. You could think of Thomas the Tank Engine. Who is he? He's Thomas the Tank Engine. What is he? He's an engine. You could think of Optimus Prime from the Transformer movies. But you're going to have to stay with me here. <laughs> Who is he? He is Optimus Prime. What is he? Well, actually, he is two things. He's both a truck and a robot. So we are all one who and one what. Who am I? I'm Marianne. What am I? I'm a human. Now, in the Bible, we begin to see that God is three who's and one what. God is three persons existing as one God. And some of the most well-known verses where this is reflected come from Matthew's Gospel. And we tend to call these verses the Great Commission. So where Jesus says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And it's worth noticing what Jesus is saying and what he is not saying. Jesus is saying that there is one name into which we are to be baptized. He doesn't say baptizing them in the names, plural, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit as if they are three different gods. There is one name being shared by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But Jesus also doesn't say baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Spirit, as if the Father, Son, Spirit were simply aspects of God, um, or like three different hats that God wears. Jesus is saying that we are to baptize in the name, the one name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One name, three persons. A God that has always existed as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the fact that God is like that shows us that he is unique. Of course, there are many, many people who don't believe in any God. We can think of our atheist friends. There are many people who believe in multiple gods. We could think of our Hindu friends. And there are many people who believe in one God. We could think of our Muslim friends. 
But the God of Christianity, the God that we see revealed through Jesus Christ, is one God who has always existed as three persons. So Christians have a very different understanding of God to our Muslim friends. But as well as showing us that God is unique, the Trinity also shows us that God is amazing. Because if God has always existed as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then God has always existed as love, as friendship, as community, and as relationship. So God didn't start to become loving when humans showed up, as if that was God's first opportunity to love someone. No, God has always existed as love within God's self. And so we can say God is love. Not, not only that God loves, but that God is love. He has always been love. All of God's relational qualities are eternally true of him because he is Trinity. And in fact, the Trinity makes sense of so many of our deepest longings as people. It's why community is so important to us. And it's why isolation is so incredibly painful. And we've seen a lot of that over the past 18 months, haven't we? The God in whose image we are made is three persons in loving relationship. So what next? What does this oneness or unity of the Trinity mean for Christians and from the church? And I, I just want to say a couple of things about the passage that Beth just read to us from John 17. This, uh, John 17 is a prayer. It's a prayer uh, from Jesus to the Father. In fact, it's the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. And we just heard the last third of it read to us from Beth. And when I was studying these verses, something really incredible occurred to me. And I'm just going to um, tell you about that. So in verses 22 and 23, Jesus says to the Father, I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. So what is, what is Jesus praying for? He is praying for oneness amongst his followers. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, that's you. He's praying for unity. And we've already heard that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are completely and perfectly united. They are a unit. And Jesus prays that his people would be like God, that his followers would think and act and obey and be on a mission and pray and worship as one, like a unit. So we're not independent people, all doing their own thing, but like parts of a body, doing their work, but concerned about the whole body. Like players on a football team, each has their own assigned role, but they're all playing to the same strategy. Or like various instruments, playing in an orchestra. And I think such oneness can be fairly elusive in our world. Families who don't talk to each other 
co-workers who can't get along citing personality conflicts. Prime Minister's Questions tends to have a tremendous amount of fighting. We see political candidates bashing one another. And we see, sadly, nations can't get along or agree with each other. Uh, we, we can think of the responses across the nations to the crisis in Afghanistan, the refugee crisis, the COVID crisis, and climate change, of course. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have such oneness, a perfect and complete harmony that is filled with joy and love for each other. And Jesus prays that we would have the same. And so what is the impact then of such oneness with the people of God, with Christians? Well, later in verse 23, Jesus tells us. He says to the Father, may they experience such perfect unity that, this is the outcome, that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. And so this is really astonishing, I think, isn't it? If Christians will live in perfect harmony together like a well-tuned uh, and skilled orchestra, the people around those Christians will see a glimpse of God. They will get a glimpse of the love of God. And, you know, if you're here today and you don't call yourself a Christian, I hope that you will get a glimpse of the love of God through the relationships that you have with your Christian friends and with the church. And just a few hours earlier, before Jesus prayed this prayer, he says this to his disciples, your love for one another, a disciple is a follower, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my followers. So for the Christians in the room, I think this is challenging because our unity across all of the churches in Winchester has missional impact. Our unity in Christ Church has missional impact. And our unity in our households has missional impact. The people around us will notice. And if we do not have such unity, the people around us will notice. And they might mock us or call us hypocrites. And I can understand that. If God helps Christians live as one, the world will see a glimpse of Jesus who was sent from heaven and who loves us. And I think one of the church's highest goals must be that the church is united. On numerous occasions, I've seen church committees and others have strongly differing opinions on what they ought to do, but they were united despite their differences, functioning as a unit, as a body. After all, that is what the church is or should be, surely. People with real difference drawn together in unity. In that, the church then is displayed for all the world to see the hope of world peace. And so through the church shines this divine glory because the church is a taste of heaven to come, come to earth and a picture of the nations assembling in peace. But this, this can be a real challenge for us because this takes love 
for one another. It takes an unselfishness. It takes submission sometimes, and it often takes humility. When we live in this way, God is on display through us. Knowing God and his Son, Jesus, revealed by the Holy Spirit, to seek after such unity and oneness and love is part of our calling to declare God the Father and his Son, Jesus, to the world. And for the Christian, the ultimate reality is a community of persons who know and love another. This is what the universe, God, history, and life is all about. Now, if you're, if you're here, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, I don't know this God that you're talking about, maybe you've caught a glimpse of the love of God through your Christian friends or through the church. We would really love to talk to you more about God. Um, maybe you'd like to come along to an evening that we host here, a discussion, questions and answers. It's a safe space. It's called the Alpha Course, where you are able to ask some of those questions that you're thinking about and discuss them with other people who might be asking the same sorts of questions as you are. So if that interests you, talk to one of us at the end or talk to the person that you came with or have a look at the website or socials for more information. Now, I've nearly finished. Now, at the end of each of these talks about the Apostles' Creed, we are going to read or sing the words of the Apostles' Creed together. And um, I'm going to ask Jack and the musicians to come up. And as they come up and get themselves set up, I'm actually going to read to you some words from another creed, um, another ancient creed that's been handed down through the generations, and I struggled to pronounce this creed. I don't think I've ever heard anyone pronounce it, so I might pronounce it wrong. It's called the Athanasian Creed. What is it? Athanasian Creed. And it beautifully describes the Trinity. So I'm going to read these words now, and then we're going to sing the words of the Apostles' Creed together. We worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the essence. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Ghost. But the Godhead of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost is all one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Ghost. The Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, and the Holy Ghost uncreated. The Father unlimited, the Son unlimited, and the Holy Ghost unlimited. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, and the Holy Ghost eternal. And yet, they are not three eternals, but one eternal. As also, there are not three uncreated, nor three infinites, but one uncreated and one infinite. So likewise, the Father is almighty, the Son almighty, and the Holy Ghost almighty, 
and yet they are not three almighties, but one almighty. So the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Ghost is God, and yet they are not three gods, but one God. So likewise the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, and the Holy Ghost Lord, and yet not three lords, but one Lord. And in this Trinity, none is before or after another, none is greater or less than another, but the whole three persons are co-eternal and co-equal, so that in all things, as aforesaid, the unity in Trinity and the Trinity in unity is to be worshipped. He, therefore, that will be saved, let him thus think of the Trinity. Amen. <laughs>